This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey guys, it's John back with you for Calvary Online. Today we're kicking off a new series we're calling Greater Than, The Exaltation of Christ in the Book of Hebrews. That's where we'll be in this New Testament book together, which is all about Jesus, all about who he is and what he's done and why he is greater than everything. We love to talk about and argue about and debate what is the greatest, like the greatest athlete, the greatest author, the greatest artist, the greatest album, the greatest automobile. In our culture, we love to celebrate the highest, the biggest, the tallest, the strongest, the fastest, the wealthiest. And the book of Hebrews is about someone who is greater than anyone, greater than anything, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's who we're going to give our attention to as we open the book of Hebrews this fall together, Jesus. So if you're new to following Jesus, I'm so glad you're with us. We pray this is helpful for you. And if you've been following Jesus a long time, we pray this study is a reminder for you and an encouragement to you about the Son of God and how great he is. So if you have a Bible, open it with me. To Hebrews, which is found in the New Testament. You can always check out the table of contents. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to Bible.com in a web browser or pull it up on your smartphone and follow along with us. We'll begin in verse 1 of Hebrews, chapter 1, where it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." So, if you're familiar with the Bible, and particularly some of the letters in the New Testament, you notice that Hebrew starts differently than they do. There's no introduction from the author. There's no address to the audience. There's no comments about where the author is or where the audience is or anything, really. It just jumps right in to what might be the most densely packed four verses about Jesus in all of Scripture. But we're left to wonder as we read it, who is the author of this book to the Hebrews? And and who is this audience? Who are the Hebrews? To be fair, there's some mystery surrounding this book. It's one of the only, actually the only book in the New Testament that we're not quite sure who the author is. Many have speculated, but no one's sure who the actual author of this book is. It also might be more accurately described as a sermon rather than a book or a letter. The author says in some of the final verses, thank you for bearing with me in my word of exhortation, which is a common word to describe a sermon, a time where where an author or a speaker pleads with an audience to follow and believe what he's sharing with them. As far as the audience goes, we're pretty confident that it's a group of Christians who at one time were Jewish. And they may have been tempted to fall back into their previous life of Judaism, back into the traditions and rituals that they were so comfortable with. 
So even though there's some things we don't know about the letter or the book or the sermon to the Hebrews, there's many things that we do. We know that the author was concerned with his audience, concerned that they might drift away from faith in Jesus, worried that perhaps they were needing help in their spiritual life, and he didn't want them to neglect what they knew to be true about God's Son. So he knew they needed help. He knew they were tempted in so many ways. He knew that sometimes they struggled to listen to the words of Jesus. Do you know anyone who from time to time drifts away? Do you know anyone who needs help in their spiritual life? Do you know any person who might be tempted or struggle at times to listen to the words of Jesus? We all do. We all struggle in many ways. We're all tempted in so many different ways, and especially today. Which is why I hope you'll stick with us through this study in the book of Hebrews this fall. There's nothing we need more today than a greater understanding of who Jesus is and a deeper knowledge of what God has said about him. And that's where the book of Hebrews begins, with God speaking about his son. Look closely at verse 1 with me. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. I don't know if we take enough time to reflect on the miraculous reality that God has spoken. God is not silent. He isn't hidden. He doesn't keep himself from us. He speaks. And as he does so, he reveals all that we need to know about who he is, who we are, and the separation between us as humans and him as God. And the solution that he has provided to us to bridge that gap, to, to mend the separation between God and man, the solution that is found exclusively in his son, Jesus Christ. So the author says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Think of all the diverse ways that God has spoken a long time ago, in, in time in the past. All the different diverse ways that God has revealed himself to us to people throughout the age. In creation, we learn about him. Now you might say, how, how does God speak through creation? Well, at the very beginning of the Bible, it begins by saying, God spoke. God spoke into being all that was created. And when, when he spoke, things happened. The world was created. The universe was formed. Light came. The oceans were developed. The earth was formed by God simply speaking. And so when we look at creation, we learn about God. He communicates to us through his creation. We learn about his strength and his power, about his creativity, about his beauty. God has spoken to us, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, through angels, angelic beings that appeared to people and revealed God's will to them about their lives. God even spoke in, in miraculous occurrences, supernatural things that happened like speaking to Moses in the burning bush, where God revealed his name to Moses, which allows people to relate to God personally because he has a name. And there's so much that's wrapped up in the name that God gave to Moses that helps us understand who he is, that reveals to us more and more about who God is. God speaks. And then it says, he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The first verse of the book of Hebrews is describing all these different ways that God has spoken and revealed himself through the Old Testament. 
in this case, through the prophets, his spokespersons, many of whom are Old Testament authors who wrote words of history and poetry, commands and proverbs, songs and promises. But in in these last days, it says in verse 2, he has spoken to us by his Son. So there's a contrast between God speaking in the Old Testament before Jesus came and in these last days, which is the time that we are in now, following the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we learn from these first two verses is that Jesus is the culmination of God's revelation. All the ways that God communicated in the past, whether it was through visions or dreams or angels or supernatural events through the writings and words of his prophets, all of it was to help us see what was to come. It's like a a shadow of the real reality that someday will be revealed to us through his son, Jesus. And so now God has spoken to us by his son. And that, that which was a shadow in the past now is made clear. We understand, we see the true revelation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. It all makes sense because Jesus is the culmination of God's revelation to us. You know, we've had an especially hazy summer in Colorado. Wildfires that have been burning in the West have made it nearly impossible some days to see the beautiful mountains that we love to look at. But just this past week on Tuesday, we had probably the clearest day I think we've had all summer. I was driving into Boulder on Tuesday morning and it was so clear and so beautiful. I was distracted as I was driving. It wasn't maybe the safest way to drive in, but it was beautiful to look at the mountains in all of their splendor and glory. And I realized what we had been missing because of the smoke and the haze that has obscured their beauty obscured the jagged ridge lines that define the beautiful, huge mountains that we can see, and I've missed them this year. It's not unlike the way that Jesus brought clarity to everything that God had revealed in the Old Testament. Jesus is like the crystal clear, high-definition view of God's revelation to his people. He has revealed everything we need to know about God. So that doesn't mean that we do away with the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fulfill all that was said about me in the Old Testament, Jesus says. I have fulfilled and brought clarity to all that God has spoken in many ways, at many times, through his prophets, all of it has been clearly articulated now through me, God's final revelation. So we don't want to be a people who are unclear about Jesus. We don't want the the haze, the, the smoke, if you will, of our culture and of our lives and of the challenges we face to obscure the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We want to be a people who are undeniably clear about the Son of God. This is one of our commitments at Calvary, that we would be Christ-centered, that everything we do is all about Jesus. As we open the word of God together, we want to see Jesus more clearly. As we gather together as people in home groups or life groups, we want them to be centered around Jesus. 
In our own personal lives, we want our lives to revolve around Jesus and what he's called us to be and what he's called us to do and how he calls us to live because we are Christ-centered. That's one of the reasons we love the book of Hebrews because it is unquestionably Christ-centered. It's all about him because he is the culmination of God's revelation. Everything, absolutely everything we need to know about God is found in Jesus. So if you want to know God, if you're unfamiliar with him, if you'd like to learn more about what it might mean to have a relationship with God, look no further than Jesus. If you want to understand what God is calling you to in your life, get to know his son, Jesus. Why? What is it about Jesus that makes him the full and final fulfillment, the culmination of God's message to our world? Well, it's because he and he alone is qualified to be that final culminating message to God's world. He has an amazing list of qualifications. And in the verses that remain here in verses one through four, you see an incredible list of the qualifications of Jesus. If this was a resume that someone presented to you, it would be unbelievable because of how qualified Jesus is to be this final revelation to God's people, to a world that, wants, that longs to hear the voice of God. There are many qualifications that are in this tightly packed four verses that opens the book of Hebrews. We won't have time to look at every single one of them specifically, but there's about eight of them that the writer of Hebrews tells us about. It begins by saying that Jesus is the heir of all things, that all the things in the universe ultimately are his. Can you imagine that? This is so important because it's written to a first century audience where the heir, the firstborn son, had prominence in the family. It was a position of power and authority. And think of how close the firstborn son was to the father. In a first century, often agrarian society, the, the firstborn son would follow in his father's footsteps in the work that the father did. And so he would spend so much time with him as his apprentice, close by, learning all about the father. And the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the heir. He occupies this amazing position in the ancient world, the heir of all things. Second, Jesus is the creator of the world. The creator of the world. If you were with us over the summer, we began looking at another beautiful chapter in the book of Colossians that describes Jesus. It's really similar to Hebrews chapter 1 too. If you'd like to watch that message, you can click the link that's here and we'll send you to that. But it describes Jesus also as the creator and the inheritor of all things. Through Jesus, God created everything. He's the creator of the world. Hebrews goes on to say that he is the radiance of the glory of God. God's glory is so beautiful, so majestic, so powerful, it radiates out from him. And Jesus is the visible representation of that glory. God is invisible. No one has ever seen God, the Bible tells us. But God has come in a person, Jesus Christ, and he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is also, it says, the exact imprint of his nature. Again, everything we need to know about God is found in Jesus. Looking for God? Look to Jesus, because he is the exact imprint of his nature. All of his character, all of his attributes, everything that is true about God is true about Jesus, 
because he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is also the sustainer because it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think how powerful that is. Jesus upholds the entire universe. All the laws of gravity, all the laws of physics, all the planets that are out in the universe, ones that we haven't even discovered that we can't even see because the universe is so incomprehensibly large. Jesus upholds all of it by the word of his power. He is the sustainer and he is the redeemer because it says after making purification for sins, he sat down. He is our redeemer. This was the plan of God the Father, the plan of God the Son, the plan of God the Holy Spirit from eternity past, that Jesus would come into our world and make purification for our sins. We're going to see throughout the book of Hebrews so many Old Testament allusions, so many Old Testament verses that point to the Old Testament system of sacrifice, of how sins were were purified through the work of a priest. And we're going to see how Jesus is greater than any priest who has ever existed because of his full and final work when he made purification for sins. All of these qualifications that we're looking at will be unpacked more fully throughout the book of Hebrews. These densely packed verses are like the introduction to this beautiful message that the author wants this audience to know, to know that Jesus is greater and that he is qualified to be the final revelation from God. And then it says that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, why would sitting down be a qualification? You know, there's nothing better than sitting down after a long day's work and taking a load off. So is that what you picture Jesus doing in heaven after he made purification for sins, after he died on the cross and was raised again and returned to heaven and he sat down at the majesty on high? Did, did God let him take a load off in a lazy boy? Was he so tired and exhausted from his work that he had to put his feet up on a sofa? Do you picture Jesus maybe sitting in an office chair, delegating tasks or handling some administrative details? Perhaps you think of Jesus sitting in like a theater seat, just a casual observer of everything that's happening in the world. Is that the seat that Jesus is sitting in? Would that qualify him to be God's final revelation? No. Jesus is sitting right now in this moment on a throne in heaven, reigning and ruling. He is the king of all kings. He has authority over everything because he is the king. Authority over everything that happens in the world. And he is an active participant in my life and in yours. So while his work of redemption was finished and final on the cross, his work in the lives of his people goes on and on. It's unending. I want you to notice that a throne where Jesus is seated right now is a position of exaltation. Exaltation means that we elevate someone, that we lift them up, that we give them kudos. So when we exalt Jesus, when we give him praise and worship and declare the reality of his position and influence, we exalt him. We give him the due status that is, that is due to him because of who he is. And that's what we're aiming to accomplish in our series in the book of Hebrews, the exaltation of Christ. In everything we say about him, in all that we think about him, in the ways that we obey what he has commanded, 
Because Jesus is exalted when we acknowledge his true position as king, as ruler, as greater than everything. You know, in so many of the lists that we make about the greatest athlete or artist or album, there's always debate, dialogue, disagreement about who might be the greatest. But in the mind of the author of the book of Hebrews, there's no question. Jesus is the greatest. I mean, just look quickly at verse 4. Jesus has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's quite the qualification. Greater even than angels. I mean, Michael Jordan's probably the greatest basketball player that ever lived, but I'm pretty sure an angel could take him in one-on-one. But Jesus, Jesus is greater than angels because the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It's a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our prayer for you. As we study this book together and read and learn more about Jesus, that you would see him as greater than anything, greater than anyone, that you would listen to his voice, that you would lean on him when you're tempted, that you would learn from him and hear from him and obey his voice and his calling on your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have accomplished We thank you that when we need help, we can call on you in time of need. We thank you that you are our great high priest and that you are greater than anyone we could ever imagine or anything we might encounter in our life. Help us to follow you, Lord Jesus. Help us to learn from you. Help us to listen to you and help us to grow deeper in our knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you've done. May you be glorified and exalted in heaven as we're here on the earth. To you be praise and glory and honor. Amen.